0: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the 343 podcast, where we work tirelessly to elevate the level of discourse and practitionership here in American soccer. Today on the show, we have John Kokoris making his third appearance on the podcast. John works as a youth coach on the East Coast, who has made significant contributions to the 7 vs 7 youth player format. He has an extensive online video library that showcases much of his work. And again, guys, that right there is a litmus test of whether someone online should be paid attention to or not. But anyway, I'll keep the intro brief. We dive into the topic of mentorship, and I've got to admit, things got a bit heated. But in a good way, I was just trying to dig a little bit deeper into the topic and extract the most I could from John. There's also some pretty strong opinions on whether coaches should copy others or forge their own unique paths. And again, it gets a bit spicy. Lastly, we focus on the methodology behind John's success in the 7 versus 7 format, which, by the way, you can now gain access to by joining the program at 7v7coaching.com. With that, please take a moment and have a listen to what helps support not only this podcast, but our ongoing efforts in youth and pro soccer development across the country. Here we go we've got something a bit special for your ads today so you probably don't want to skip this one if you think we're a good source for education if you're a coach specifically working with the little ones in the 7v7 format we've launched a brand new course just for you naturally called the 7v7 course and as you probably know every age group needs a bit of a different touch i should be a little bit careful here because it's not every single age group that is different. We can bucket more broadly than that. And the fundamental principles of play, well, those don't change. But in 7v7, we're dealing with the little ones. So it makes sense to give coaches a well-refined, proven-to-be-successful methodology they can use. That way they're not flying blind and trying to figure things out all on their own. The good news, of course, is that if you're an existing 343 member, you're definitely not flying blind. But now you can add this course as well, which leverages the fundamental principles showcased in your membership. And if you're still not a member, no problem. You can hop on board and start your membership with a 7v7 curriculum. Simply go to 7v7coaching.com. That's 7v7coaching.com. How about if you're not a 7v7 coach though, and still not a 343 member? No problem as well. You can learn the U10 to U19 methodology that we use firsthand to train players from the age of nine all the way until they became professionally contracted players in top clubs in Spain, Germany, Holland, Portugal, Belgium. Guys, the list goes on and on. And yes, in MLS and USL here in the States as well. And please, please keep in mind that you will be learning from the actual source and practitioners, most notably. Brian Cliven, who pioneered a seismic shift here in American soccer development. You get to watch him in action in the real live training environment. This is not some scripted or manufactured presentation lifted from reading books or other people's work. Absolutely not, guys. You get to learn straight from a legit practitioner in the unique American soccer environment himself who has an unprecedented track record and extensive video evidence of his actual team's performing. Simply go to 343coaching.com. And parents, we don't forget about you. You are absolutely critical to the development of your son or daughter. We're opening the 343 Master Class program again to another small cohort. Since this is a very special program, we're only allowing the first 20 parents who email me to register. You can find my email address and instructions at 343masterclass.com. All right, ads are done. Products are set. You are now equipped. Let's get into the show. Here we go. So tell us a little bit about John Kokoris, whatever comes to mind. Obviously the audience is very interested on, on the soccer angle, you know, how you got involved in soccer. It looks like you can kick a ball from looking at your videos, so that's awesome. Uh, yeah. And how you got into coaching, how long ago you got into coaching, what made you like it? It seems like you totally like it for, again, from watching the videos that you've put together and what keeps you going.
1: Cool. So I'm definitely not an ordinary coach. And I tell that to every parent, every player, everybody that I interact with, and especially the ones that meet me through coaching. Also, the people who meet me outside of coaching, and then they ask what I do for a living. And the first thing when I explain it, they're like, oh, you're a soccer coach? I'm like, no, you don't understand. Like, you don't understand. And that's no disrespect to anybody in when I describe what I'm about to say. But I'm not a guy that shows up with a bag of balls, dumps it on the floor, and I'm like, let's get to it. I'm the furthest thing from that. I'm the opposite side of the spectrum, actually. So what I mean by that is... You know, you hear people in the industry say, I want to give back to the game. I'm doing it for the love of the game. And you hear those cliches, which is perfectly cool. There's nothing more I love than a guy who or a person who volunteers in youth soccer or in professional soccer for the right reasons. They're godsend. I personally, not to go off track, but I personally have a problem with people who say they're volunteers, but instead of the dollar, they're getting paid in power. Like, that's the worst Like, I want to, you know, I want to take them out of the game completely. So I'm not that person. I'm in my nature. I'm a builder. That's what I do. I set things in motion. It doesn't matter what I'm involved with. I like to set things in motion. And it's not just one, like, a niche. I start to absorb all the little things around the environment. And then I, like, see how I can add to this and to that. So, like, in a soccer program, it's not about my team. It's about the club. And then it's about the field. How can we do this differently? How can we do that differently? Like the whole presentation. And then I want to do the online presence. And then I want to do coaching education. I like to set things in motion with momentum and just everything be progressive. Like everything get better. I can't concentrate on one little thing. So I'm a builder by nature. And with soccer, it's just something that I knew I could do countless hours without looking at dollars. It's not important to me. If I hit a hundred million dollar jackpot, I would do this, I'd probably put 75 million of that jackpot into soccer and reinvest into what I do. It's like a drug almost, you get adrenaline from it. So I just, I can't stop now. So I just found something that I can, all the the creativity and the energy that you get every day, I like to put it towards this. I actually get energy from doing this, I don't get drained. So like, if I spend a day at a tournament, when I come home, I'm not like, oh, I need to turn off. I have to lay down. Like, I don't understand those people. It's just not the way I'm wired. I go home and I'm texting the guy that does our VO, Damon. And I'm like, Damon, when is it going to be up? And then I watch it on Facebook Live because one of the parents' Facebook Lives the games. So I watch it on Facebook Live until the VO's up. And then when the VO's up, I'm watching from there. You know, so it's like I get energy from this. So that's the best way I would describe myself is I'm a builder. It's just everything, everything I do. I like to do it from scratch. I like to kind of understand it. And then once I have that momentum, I just keep going and I keep going and I keep going. Kind of like the course, right? I explained that to you. I was like, when I find my groove, I'm gone. I just need to have that moment where I just get into my groove or else, you know, I'm thinking until that point until I want to execute.
0: So, yeah, I totally understand you're a builder and kind of your mindset. I'm very much the same way, but you could have taken that energy and applied it in all variety of directions. Why is soccer the thing, right? Some people have kids and so they get into coaching because they're coaching their kids. Other people played and they're like, okay, what am I going to do now? Because all I know is soccer. So they get into soccer. That's kind of the angle I'm looking for.
1: Right. So I, I can't really get into this question without speaking about my mentor, Joe Miso, who i mentioned on the first time I did the 343 podcast. My first time coaching, my friend brought me down. He begged me to come down. He's like, I think you would like this. And I was like, what exactly do you do? And he's like, I'm a director of a soccer program. And I'm like, you're crazy. You know, I was a 24-year-old right out of college. I'm like, what are you talking about? It wasn't for me. It didn't fit in my lifestyle at that point. But I went and I felt like a natural when I was in that environment, that educational environment. I felt like a natural. I prefer coaching to playing. Like, I don't even think about playing anymore. I don't play anymore. I haven't played in 10 years. I mean, I love soccer. I loved it when I was a kid. I didn't stop. But coaching blows it away. And... When I met my mentor, Joe Miso, and I sat down with him, basically, he was 74 at the time. Now he's about 84. And he built the three biggest programs in New York. He spent like seven or eight years at New York Coda. He spent seven to 10 years at BW Gachi. And he spent like six to seven years at Metropolitan Oval. Those are the three big boys in New York, right? So he built those programs. And I didn't know who he was. So he invited me to his house one time. The first time I ever met him, he gave me his business card. He said, call me over a Christmas break. So I went to his house and I said, hello and goodbye, Gary. Like I got there at 1130 a.m. I left at nine. I said, hello and goodbye. I just shut my mouth and I let him do all the talking. I sat in a chair across the room from him and he just talked. It was a crazy experience. So when I found out that this guy coached for 55 years and at the highest level you know, of youth soccer. Like I found a treasure book, like a treasure map, right? And all this experience and he plugged it into my head. If someone gave me that treasure book or that treasure map now, it's probably a little different because I've been coaching for 10 years. But imagine I'm 25 years old, I'm two weeks into what I'm doing. Right. It was like the universe put it together. And so he just plopped this cute blueprint on my lap and I was ready to get my life serious. You know, I was twenty four, twenty five years old. I was ready to be serious and you know, become a man. And then, so when I found that, it was like my human nature of being a builder with this amazing man that came into my life. And I used that all those resources and it was just like a perfect marriage. So I think that's where you're asking, right? Like, why soccer? I think it's just, I used what I had.
0: No, oh, awesome. It's exactly what I was looking for. And it makes me think of a couple of things. One is my own life experience. And the other thing is the online mentors that I've had. And some what I mean by online, I mean not in-person mentors. So for instance, I don't know if you're aware of the author Robert Greene. He's written a lot of big-time books, 48 Laws of Power, Mastery. And in that particular book, Mastery, he talks about how one goes from knowing nothing or being a noob to becoming a master in a particular domain. And a central theme is mentorship. And he explores a variety of quote unquote masters. And you see that they are actually the progeny of a mentor who took them under their wing and kind of taught them the ropes. And then they're able to stand on the shoulders of giants, so to speak, as, as you know, Stephen Hawking and others have said, that's what we try to do with the online program that was three, four, three. And that's what I think you're trying to do now as well with 10 years of experience under your belt are like, hey, I know some stuff. I've had some successes that I think are worth sharing so that others can benefit as well. Because not, John, not everybody has the benefit of having a mentor like you did or a mentor yep. as I have had. They're few and far between. They're rare treasures, to use your word. And so how do we help others at scale? And that's where the internet comes in. That's where the online programs come in, et cetera, et cetera, long story short. Why don't we use that to segue maybe into a little bit about the program? I think I've gleaned that you have, you know, you started 10 years ago. I've seen many of your online videos over the course of the years. I first came across your work. I kind of remember it because the work was worth remembering, to be frank, because it, you can tell when there is real work being done behind the scenes. Yes, and the actions of the team aren't just an accident. And one of the things that's a piece of evidence to that effect is that it's reproducible and repeatable. And so you would regularly upload videos of your teams and it would regularly look, quote unquote, the same, like the same patterns of play, the same structure. The players clearly had an identity. They knew what was going on. They weren't playing chaos soccer, random soccer, everybody trying to figure it out all on their own. And so all of that to say, you have something to share that would benefit many, many people in my opinion. Okay. So with that said, you clearly have converged on a particular way of doing things, which we call a methodology. How long did it take you to get to your specific methodology? Maybe you could just say a couple words to what is the methodology period at a high level, right? You don't have to dig into the weeds.
1: So how long did it take? It took me three or four years to really kind of converge it, to use your own word. It took three or four years. And the reason why it took that amount of time was When I first met him, I was glued to this man, right? So I would take him to training. He would talk to the parents. I would just watch him speak to the parents, right? And then what he told me before, like we would spend three hours before practice together and we would go over exactly what we're going to work on and why and how it's going to progress and how we're layering the early foundation steps to get, you know, more involved and detailed as they get older. And we layer in more different tools or not tools, uh, layer in more things that were not important, maybe like physical, right? They're not important when they're eight, more technical, things like that. So I would just be spending hours in the pizzeria with him, hours at his house. After practice, it was like a ritual. We would go to a pizzeria. We'd sit there till they kicked us out at like 1130. The guys would be cleaning up the kitchen and they'd be like, all right, you guys are good now. And, you know, it was we were the last ones out of there. Um, Countless, countless, countless conversations. So also, I think that this has to be said, let's say someone's very good. Like, let's say the best 25-year-old coach in the world right now, right? He could have philosophy and a methodology, right? And he could use it and he could do it for 20 years. But then like on the 20th year, he could realize that it could be done this way. That's already done. So, you know, it's like, you can't jump this without experience. So it took me three or four years to implement this man's methods and stuff like that. And also the biggest thing, here to understand is that the cycles of soccer are very important to understand. Like right now, like everyone's going back into like a three in the back, right? Like in the nineties, I think that was huge. And then it was obviously the four, three, three. And now it's back to like a three, five, two, three, four, three. Well, it's three in the back. I think that that's the, the trend right now. And there's cycles and everybody that just gets into soccer or maybe doesn't know the history, they think it's like new and it's been done like four or five times already. And soccer, like you've heard people say many times before, you can't separate attack and defense. It's one thing. It's the same thing. It's just when it becomes too heavy one way, like one direction, there's opportunity and somewhere else. It's like a balance beam. So it's important to know the history of the game to understand that. Now, me and Jose spent hours and hours and hours in the library. I'm talking about like six to eight hours a day before we would go to training. We would get there at 9 a.m. and we'd stay there till like 4 p.m. And then we would eat lunch and then we would go to the training field. And we would just be studying the game, studying our own methods. So that's why it took three or four years. But I don't think that that's a normal three or four years, Gary. Because you get this man who was telling us what to do. And then we would go to the library and study it. And then I'd get the feedback from him three hours after training. So I would be waking up at 8, going to the library with intention, right? Things that he set up for us with Jose who is someone that is an amazing coach and driven, right? So Jose Lopez, I would be with him. So it's not just me. Now it's two minds working on one old man's philosophy or like a treasure book, treasure chest, right? And then you're going to apply it. And then after that, you get feedback from this old man live in person at a pizzeria for three hours. So it expedites that process. It's not a normal three or four years. It might take someone like 50 years or 100 years if they didn't have those tools. So again, like what you said, that's why this online stuff is so cool that you can scale it and send it out to everybody because for people that need it, it could help them. And then the final thing I'd like to say about that, not to ramble, is that one day I called Joe, this is like my little graduation. I called Joe and I was like, Joe, I just, I think this is all bullshit. And he was like, what do you mean? I remember the moment I was sitting on the balcony of the library. He shut a door in his house. He's like, "Tell me what you mean." And I was like, "Look, it's all the same shit. Three four three eight, four two, four two diamond. A uh, four three, three 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 five two. It's all the same shit. It's about how you defend your goal, how you attack their goal, depending on the opponent and depending on the qualities of your team, depending on all these factors." I'm like, "That's what it is." I'm like, "It's your goal, their goal, and then the other opponent blocking you and your quality. That's it." That's the game. You could sit three, five, two. All this stuff doesn't mean anything to me. It doesn't mean anything to me. I'm like, I'm formless. Like our stuff is formless. It's completely shapeless. Like it doesn't mean anything to me. So when I realized that he's like, yeah, you're now you're getting somewhere. Now you're starting to understand what I'm talking about. And he's like, you're finally getting it. And that's why it's important to understand the history of the game, because without that, you don't know. You think everything is new and cutting edge when it's really not.
0: One thought is, one possible objection is, okay, great. You had this mentor, old guy, worked for 55 years. One objection is, first off, many people may never even have heard of this person. Most people have never heard of such a person ever. Correct. Um, Especially people who are going to be participating in our programs in particular, because most of which are either new and just getting into soccer and trying to find solutions or have been in it for a little bit some time and are looking for new solutions or more guidance or alternative, whatever the case may be. If those are the coaches that are going to be the members, I guarantee you they have no idea who Mr. Miso is. And secondly, naturally, they'll be thinking about, okay, great. He was coaching in the East Coast for 50 years. What did he accomplish? Because U.S. soccer was shit. We produced no players whatsoever that were of any quality with respect to the international game. So, I mean, isn't that evidence that he's not special? right? And he's just feeding you from his life experience, which is not worthless. It's very valuable. But how do you know it's good stuff? How do you know it's good stuff, John? Especially like you were a newbie coach, green,
1: knew nothing. So it's not about what's good. It's about what's bad. He helped me avoid mistakes, like Mm -hmm. believing my own bullshit. Like that's the stuff that he helped me avoid. Um,
0: I also want to see if I can extract more from you on the following because you said, no, 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 Gary. My mentor kind of made me avoid the bullshit. He made me avoid going down wrong paths or making mistakes or something like that. And one thing that came to my mind is, again, how do you know whether how he's steering you is avoiding bullshit or it might be great stuff when you're brand new? I'll give you an example. There are a lot of coaches historically, especially 30, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, and even to this day, coaches who are like, Rondo's fucking bullshit like you gotta get get the fuck away from rondos and they have a list of reasons why it's not game realistic you know on and on and on you know all the stories you've been around for a while so imagine a freshly minted coach a newbie coming in and that is their mentor oh dude you gotta stay away from this rondo bullshit like that's running of them out there no he, you know what i mean yeah. and i go down that path because i know you use rondos Oh yeah. You literally call a lot of the things that you do, which aren't traditional rondos. You still use that word.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um,
0: So clearly you are somebody that subscribes to that. So two questions, I guess. One is, did your mentor believe in rondos? Do you even know what they were? Because that's something that kind of came around the common language maybe 10 years ago, only not that long ago during Pepsi era and Barca. And then question number two, how were you introduced to rondos? and why did you adopt their utilization?
1: He doesn't believe in rondos. He never even used the word rondo. He's like, oh yeah, we used to do that too, like keep away, you know? But it was a warm up to those people back then. So it goes back to my human nature of being a builder. When I saw rondos, I comprehended. I envisioned how powerful this tool is. And then that's the base. And then once I can link everything back to that rondo, I'm like, this is everything. So that became like my foundational tool. So that is something that resonated me with the Rondos. Now, where did I find them? Uh On the internet, 100%. I paid attention on the internet. And then I started doing my own stuff. And then when I found Brian doing it, so I was like, okay, this resonates with me. So that was like a compass that now I knew that I was going in the right direction. And then I did pattern play also, and this was also mentioned on that podcast. you could go on YouTube and look at like Origo Saki, do like all the dry runs with the flags in the middle of the field. It's all black and white, but you can see it. And then when I saw Brian do that, I was like, okay, now this isn't a coincidence because like I saw it with Origo Saki. I did it because that's what I think. Like if I'm going to build a team and they need to get out of some, like a situation or press or whatever, I'm like, obviously you want to choreograph that. Like why wouldn't you choreograph that? And then when I saw Brian do it and I'm like, okay. I'm like, you know, lightning doesn't strike twice type thing.
0: So how do you, so how do you reconcile what appears to be a kind of contradiction where you have this mentor, you call it treasure chest or treasure trove of information and experience, but he was like, oh, get that Rondo shit out of my face. Yeah. You know, how do you reconcile those two conflicting views? Cause you adopted Rondos. Yeah.
1: So the first thing he taught me was to have conviction in myself and not to be a clone of anybody. So I see. I see. I, yeah, I took that. I took that, and I ran with it. So when I, I found my rondos, I was like, "Get off me!" Like, we're gonna use these rondos. You know, I, I, I I'm like, look at, look at Barcelona, look at Bayern Munich. I'm like, you're not gonna tell me that that's not that that stuff doesn't work. And then I was like, look at Brian. Look what this guy's doing. I spoke about Brian, and like, whenever I started the program, I showed him these videos, and I'm like, look, and it's way more advanced than us. You know, so I went through three phases with Jose and Max and all the staff. We went through a recreational phase where we just started from scratch, literally like a tornado. It was just three or four mines on a soccer field, a couple of cones. And then we're like, let's start something with the kid that we have. Just reconciling
0: your mentor, which you looked up to with him kind of saying, you know, this particular path is nonsense or BS.
1: Right. So then, and you, and you
0: ignoring it, you know, you're like, ah, nah, you're BS. Look at Barcelona, look at Bayern Munich, look at Brian. Like, I'm going to do my own thing now. Like, how do you, how do you live with that apparent cognitive dissonance as they call it?
1: We saw that in each level that it was working and then goes back to the human nature of being a builder. And I knew that I looped in all those tools together. It was basically those rondos, everything that I liked. I shook the tree, and the stuff that was nonsense, I didn't use it. And the stuff that stuck around, I cross-referenced with the stuff that he used. It was almost like, oh, it's, what's those things called? It's the uh compare and contrast charts? You know? the those Venn diagram. Stuff. The Venn diagram, yeah, yeah. So the stuff in the middle almost is like the stuff I kept. So the stuff you, merged, you merged the two things. Right, yeah. and everything that was common ground, I kind of bet on that. At the end of the day, a coach makes decisions. That's what you get paid for, right? You make decisions, and your judgment is everything. If you don't have good judgment, you're in the wrong industry. I just use my judgment, and wow. I have I have good vision. That's for sure. You know, if I see something, I know what something's going to look like in the future, and I know what I can build like going forward. You know, so yeah. I yeah, I just kind of went with it, ran with it, and what worked what I kept.
0: So I don't know if you're going to agree with the following, but it came to mind when you said something like, "You can't be a copycat. You want to do your own thing." I know what you mean. I just want to maybe say, people need to be careful with taking that phrase and saying, oh, I'm not going to be a copycat either. You know, I don't need to learn from anybody, basically. Um, And I think that's a mistake, right? You have to kind of learn what's been done before, execute on what's been done before you know, the foundational stuff. And then I think once you reach a certain level of maturity and success, right? Oh shit, like this stuff works and this stuff doesn't seem to work. Then I think you can graduate and kind of be your own person versus trying to be your own person from the very beginning. I don't know if I'm phrasing it right, but I think you catch my drift here. You need, like, you need to be a copycat at first. I think to learn something, I mean, you can't be a completely blank slate and just invent things. How can you, how can you be an inventor? without even knowing the foundations upon which to invent something new.
1: Yeah, I, but I wouldn't consider it a copycat. What I would say is I'm going to observe everything this guy's done and I'm going to take what I need from that person and I'm going to leave everything else. Personally, the way my mind works is, let's say I had a choice of five people to go watch their practice sessions. I had to pick two or three. I'm going to pick the two or three that I could see myself being friends with that person. You know what I mean? Like that personality, the way that they move and all that stuff is like something that I gravitate to like i'm not shy so someone's shy trainings like if someone's a shy coach and passive coach and like recreational coach i'll sit there for you know a year and maybe i'll take a couple things from that person but they're not they're not me at all i can't be that person i can't sell someone recreational stuff put it that way i don't believe in it how am i gonna sell it you know i'm not that's not for me i can't i'm gonna i'm not gonna sell one of them like if you want me to sell com- competitive players to get into our program, I, I can do that because I believe in it. When I look you in the eyes, everything I have to say, like I have that conviction. If you worked in a car industry, like if you knew this car was a piece of crap, you're not gonna sell that car. You need to believe in that product in order to sell it. I think that's like salesman 101, right?
0: Yeah, but I'm trying to make the connection of what does that have to do with not being a copycat? Because you you mentioned, hey, my mentor guy said, hey, don't be a copycat. And you're like, yes. oh, okay. And I'm saying, hey, all of human civilization was built by standing on the shoulders of those who came before you, so to speak. So you basically learned what they learned first. You were a copycat, and then you took a little leap above what they were. Does that make sense? Like, first, Yes. To put it in the context of soccer, the 4v1 rondo, there's a 3v1 rondo, there's the 5v2 rondo, there's all 7v3 transition rondo games there's there's dozens and dozens of rondo exercises let's say on the platform in our program if we're going to talk about that go in there observe learn take down notes and then go and copy it
1: right? i wouldn't execute.
0: say it. i wouldn't you know? say
1: that but
0: yeah. i'm saying but, but i'm saying you have to go
1: and execute that otherwise what have you learned I would steal and then use it and and do it my own way i think that that's where you're going to get the best results it's like the whole is greater than the sum of its parts it's that it's like you're missing that element a coach is more than than cones and exercises you you need personality and you need belief in yourself you need conviction that's the human element that you can't teach you need that anybody can't just be a coach you know that. Yeah, of- yeah,
0: no, of course. It, all of it has to do with the delivery of the message and communication and and getting buy-in and and squeezing every ounce of energy from those who trust you, you know, to maximize what it is that they can become. Absolutely, no question about it. But to be ex- an extremist here, hey, you can do that and have them run laps all, all training session long. Or you can say, nah, that's not that valuable. Let's go do this 4v1 rondo. Let's go do this. Battle rondo, as you call it, let's go do this building out pattern, you know, train them this way. But you may have never done that in your life before, as I'm putting myself in the position of a coach who wants to learn right. a methodology, okay, and how to train youth soccer players. You don't just invent shit, go and execute what has worked for maybe others and you believe in, and then you get good at that. And I then ser- you can expand I versus, versus, versus jumping into the program. Oh, I see what John course, has done here. Nah, that's garbage. Nah, that's garbage. Nah, I kind of like this exercise, but you know what? I'm going to modify it this way. And he never even goes, he never even walks in your shoes. So if he, ever, he never even walks in your shoes and executes those activities that have worked for you, a metho- an entire methodology that has worked for you, he doesn't understand your methodology. Yeah, that's where experience comes in.
1: You need to like completely immerse yourself in if you find a coach that resonates with you, you need to be fully immerse yourself into that co- coach's world and then when you emerge from that, you take all the stuff that you know that is going to that is valuable to you. You take that with you and you probably do that with like you know as many coaches that you can get your hands on. Whatever your strategy is, and then you have to make that your own and then when you make it your own, that's when you're really cooking with gas. Because no, hundred
0: percent, but it takes time. And I think that, I guess what I'm getting at, maybe it's just that you disagree with me. Maybe you just disagree with me. I, I always think of analogies. Let's say somebody wants to solve a very complicated math problem that's never been solved in 150 years. Right. They don't just start attacking that problem. They have to learn addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, algebra, geometry, trigonometry. Calculus one, calculus two, multivariate calculus, partial differential equations, vector analysis, differential geometry. Like there's this whole foundation, this whole pyramid of skills and tools to acquire, to then have the capability of saying, now I'm equipped. Let's go attack that motherfucker and see what kind of damage I can do. But if you don't do any of those things, which by the way, other people did, not you, other people invented it. Other people laid down the foundation. If you don't do any of those things, if you're an English major, English professor, that's your history, that, that's your background. And you want to go into math now and attack this problem that's never been solved before. You don't start by trying to solve the problem. Do you, do you get the, maybe my analogy is flawed. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm trying to say, yes. So, for instance, the thousands of coaches that have gone through our program, they eventually get to the point that I think you're describing where they become their own sort of, coach, inventing new things, mixing and matching, modifying, tweaking, experimenting. But in the beginning, fuck no, copy, copy what is shown to you and then reach a level of proficiency and competency and mastery with what's been done and what's been proven to work. And then you adjust and tweak and experiment. I guess that is my philosophy. John versus coming in. Green, and you're like, oh, I see this activity, this activity. Nah, fuck that, fuck that. Maybe this one, but I'm going to change it from the get go.
1: Yeah, I think that what I think that the disconnect is that, and I, I probably don't even want this to be said.
0: Sure, sure. No, go, go.
1: I think I had a little bit of a gift with as far as coaching. You know what I mean? Because if I had a new coach here, he wouldn't dare stray off of what I'm telling him to do. And I'd probably get rid of him if he did, right? But I think I had a little bit of a gift of, I understood, and I think that's why the mentor, Joe, put me... He took me under his wing in the first place. Yeah. so, he, so That sounds really super arrogant, but...
0: No, it's not arrogant, man, and I wouldn't be talking to you unless I thought your work was actually legit. And You know what I'm trying to do, though, because we're speaking to an audience Yeah, who wants to get good. They want answers and solutions. So in my personal opinion, the last thing that I would want to tell them is like, ah, you just fucking make it up yourself totally fucking wrong totally fucking wrong. my opinion is find somebody who's a badass or badasses that you truly think can be can mentor you and copy the shit out of them right so that you can get up to a certain level of proficiency in what they've shown has fucking works and now your fucking mind is developed and to a point as a craftsman to say all right i get it i'm comfortable Now I want to tweak things a little bit.
1: You're right. Yeah, you're right. I understand. I'm basically, what I'm saying is that. And that doesn't, and that
0: doesn't mean that those guys can't become special or outliers. Absolutely not. They can, they can, but they need to be equipped with tools.
1: Yeah, you're right. I understand.
0: So, uh, so, okay, so we don't really disagree. We're just on two different wavelengths. You're like, oh, no, fuck it. You were just thinking thinking about yourself and how you exercise.
1: Yeah. I said that too. I was like, I'm like, I would have to take myself out of my shoes. Yeah. Because for me, that, that's the only way I know how to think is like as an educator to the others. I'm a leader by nature. Yeah. You know what I mean?
0: I do, I do. And, and so now we're speaking to adults who want to do what we've done. Right. Um, And when you speak to kids or children or... Your youth players, John. Your personal youth players. You wouldn't go up to your youth players on day one and say, right, "I'm going to tell you some things or whatever." But at the end of the day, you fucking do whatever the fuck you want to do. You know, what I'm saying you believe whatever you th- want to believe from me, and whatever you think is not you, nah, fucking ignore me. You know, and, and go do some of fuck that.
1: Hell yeah,
0: yeah. You're right. You're right. You're right. So let me ask you: Why would somebody want to incorporate this methodology? that you've stitched together for 7v7?
1: So what it does is it gives your team control of the game, okay? We spoke about this last time, Gary. What the framework is designed to do is every time your team loses the ball and then you regain the ball, it's almost like imagine you're climbing a ladder and then you fall down. It's a safety net. Every time your team gets the ball, you're going to set up a structure to keep control of the game again. And then when your team controls the game, you're going to build an attack, a wave of attack. And then every time that they attack, when they lose the ball, they're going to win it back and they're going to start their wave of attack again. So it gives you control of the game, almost guaranteed. I haven't seen many instances where a coach has failed to get control of the game when they follow this methodology to a team. Okay? Perfect. Um, Perfect.
0: Yeah. Let, let, me, let me keep prodding at some of these things. Natural objections. Oh, so you're
1: doing team development. What about the individuals? Perfect. Perfect. So that's exactly what it does. Exactly what I said. It buys the coach time to work with the individual. That's what it does. So your team is going to be, every time you lose the ball, it's going to get control. And once the team becomes autonomous and understands all their jobs, they're going to have control of the game. So once you have control of the game and you don't really have to be on top of the team keeping possession because the structure, the framework that's taught in the methodology, it's self-sufficient. So then you could go in and work on the individual tendencies within the team. So the structure is going to bring you to an area of the field where you're going to be in 1v1s and 2v1s. That's the way the program was designed. So now when you're in 1v1s and 2v1s, those instances are naturally going to occur in the game because of the way that the structure set up. It's, it's like almost not possible not to happen, right? And then that's our bread and butter through our battle roundos in the training session is all 1v1s and 2v1s. So the training sessions would be designed where you start with 1v1s and 2v1s, whatever your topic is going to be today, right? So if you're working on like combination play in the attacking third, you're going to do 2v1 battle rondos, some type of variation. If you're working on finding the striker, you're going to work on a battle rondo where there's pressure behind the striker's back or the player's back. You're receiving with pressure on your back in a 1v1. Now, when you do your pattern work and when you do your group stuff, your small-sided games, you're going to rehearse and work on your team. But the minute that those moments of 2v1s and 1v1 pop up, you're going to link it back to the battle rondo. So you're teaching your individual everything he needs to know in specific moments, and then the team... That framework is set up so it's a safety net again. So every time your team loses the ball, it's getting control and it's building a wave of attack and it's going to find that 2v1. It's going to find that 1v1 with the striker. It's going to find that 1v1 with the winger. And as soon as you lose the ball, you got to have that safety net again, get control and you build your next wave. So that wave is important. That safety net is important to build those waves of attack to get your team the ball. And then you can work on the individuals while you're going forward or defending.
0: Got it. Got it. Some would say individual development, they have this in their minds that it's a lot of Corver coaching type things where you teach them how to juggle, where you teach them how to kick a ball with the left foot, with the right foot, with the inside, with the laces, with the outside of the foot, teach them how to do stepovers, teach them how to cut to the left, cut to the right, go in zigzagging between cones. You know what I'm getting at. This okay. is the conventional thought that the general world has out there when they think about developing the individual player. And what you've described is none of that, right? It's none of that. So then there's this tension that gets created in their minds. It's like, okay, John, I get you. You just described that you have this framework. It gives you control of the game such that from within that framework, from within that structure, from within that control, individual players have these one-on-one encounters or two-v-one encounters. And that is indeed individual development, right? Because they have the, there's these isolated moments. But what about the stuff that even comes before that, they would say, which is, can they even dribble? Can they even kick a soccer ball? I mean, I don't know. Just riff on that for a minute. What, how, what do you say to that?
1: Oh, but like I said, we've worked on, we've done this recreational. We've done this building our own program which was more advanced in a recreational club. And then we've done this in a competitive club. So it's been done in all stages. That argument is, I don't want, it's almost disrespectful to bring it to us at this point because we've had three different levels in the same age group play the same way to a degree. So with those lower levels, it still works because, all right, so when we work on 1v1s, when we work on our 2v1s, we always involve uh, confrontation. We never do it isolated. We never do, like, dribble around a cone. We don't really do that. Um, All that ball mastery stuff, we do in separate programs, and we do the kids on their own just to get comfortable on the ball. But when they come to team training, I'm always having someone tug on their shirt because I don't think that you're going to get much better by four and a half hours. We have you four and a half hours a week if you train three times a week. And, like, when you're there, my job is to put you against opponents and build you in a competitive you know, meaning a competitive level, meaning competitive of the game. Even if it's a one v one, someone's trying to get the ball from you, you're trying to get the ball from someone else. So, are you going to be able to wiggle and turn and you know shield the ball away in those moments? And then you're going to see your incompetencies, and then you need to go and fix that on your own. So there is a time and a place for that Corver stuff and the ball against the wall and dribbling and until your legs fall off at the park and taking cones and zigzagging. That's all mechanics and technical stuff. But when you come to the team training, there is no room for that for me.
0: Got it. No, perfect. There's segregated training activities. It's, hey, all that stuff happens kind of outside of the team training environment. And in the team training environment, it's team training environment, which which does develop the individual, frankly speaking. It's just a different component to individual development. It's, hey, how do I fit in the context of a team? It's a team game at the end of the day, right? And in, and you need to have the tools to come in and play a team game. Um, no, great, John, that's, that's brilliant. Let's see what else we got here. So cool, you're building a structure, a framework from where the players can then express themselves. How long does it take? Let's say you're a coach, you're in the program, you see, ah, I see this methodology, great, I'm gonna start executing this methodology with my team. How long does it take from day one until they start seeing something they would consider results on the field and by results i don't mean oh you won your matches i mean oh. oh wow my team is illustrating what it is that we train during the week on a consistent basis yes and and maybe it's not just one occurrence of building out of the back but no this is now how the team plays it actually does what we train them to do how how long would you estimate
1: so that, de- that depends on the experience of the coach and the quality of the coach. That's the factor. If I or Max or Jose, if they go in there and they work with a team, I bet you they see results in the preseason, not even before the first game that the parents are going to come up to you and be like, holy shit. What did you do to this team in a month or a week? So Max, he's been with us since the beginning. One of our founding coaches. He took a 2009 group that. To give you an idea, their center backs would be here, and then the full – well, their center backs would be, you know, split even, a little higher than the goalkeeper, right, for the audio. And then the full backs would be – they were below the center backs, deeper than the center backs. That's where they were um, previously, just a disconnect. You know, they weren't really playing. Let's put it that way. Max took them, obviously fixed all that those issues, the spacing and structural issues. They went 5-0 and with zero goals against – the first five league games this fall. And then they tied and they lost the last two. So they finished five, one and one, uh, you know, National League club, club, like, you know, the top National League in the North Atlantic. So Mac, you know, Mac's seasoned coach, he went in there, instant impact. So you'll see it. Now, also what I'd like to say to that, Gary, is that uh, you'll see bigger changes with lower level teams because there's a bigger margin of improvement that's possible. So if you're working with like a rec team, with that rack you know a lower level team a limited team you're gonna, when you show them a little bit of structure and pay attention and you know little actions it's a world of difference If you go in there and you try to fix the you know the NYCFC U17 you kind know, of it's it's about refining it's not about making them you know completely different change no
0: it's that's a quite a fascinating point which i happen to agree with and it's fascinating because it is the opposite of what Generally, people would believe generally people would believe, oh, well, if I had the talent that you have, John or Brian or whoever, if I had the best of the best 10 year olds or seven year olds or 13 year olds, then yeah, okay, I can execute your methodology or whatever. It's the exact opposite. It's if you have the lowest level team is where you will see. I mean, they're not going to execute it like the higher level players, but you will Quickly see team level results on the field. Yeah, far quicker because at those low levels, the structure is shocking. Okay. Your opponent also is not good individually or collectively. And so, with even the smallest proper guidance, you take a huge step function real fast. No, I'm glad you said that, dude. It that has been our experience as well. And that has been The experience of many coaches who have emailed me over the years, they're like, oh, Gary, I had this AYSO team. I don't know. I was hesitant because obviously my players aren't like Brian's players, but, you know, I went ahead and dove in and like, damn, like right away, you know, we're, I mean, they would cite wins, right? We won titles and trophies and championships and all that is nice and good and does help a coach from the confidence perspective it helped the players from a confidence perspective as well makes them enjoy the game when you're winning a lot more than when you're losing it does help the coach get buy-in from from the parents because the parents also see that and they're like oh yeah john gary do whatever you want with my kid every go 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 no problem but more more so than that it's you actually have an identity now and yeah you have some structure Let's see if we can say a few things about what is the methodology.
1: Awesome. Okay. So the way that we structured everything is starting from 7v7 and it follows through 9v9. And then, of course, at 11v11 is that we have the macro and then the micro. Uh, We zoom in and then we zoom out. So what we try to do is we try to structure our team as one united group. That has a common goal of how we're going to play and get, you know, progress up the field and create goal scoring chances. But then within those, within key moments of the game, based on the opponent, based on the quality of our players, and based on the actual moment in itself and space, of course, there's instances that we need to execute uh, in a situation. And what I mean by that is a 2v1 you know, a back to goal, receiving with pressure on your back, a recovery defender, you know, so you have, you have a 2v1 with someone that's coming from behind you, little instances, little moments that happen in every soccer game. And we try to master those moments. So when the kids are in those moments in the game, their execution rate is super high because they practice those moments so frequently. All right. So what we do is we start practice with battle rongos. So those um, and, and its specific battle rondos to the topic or, yeah, to the topic that we're focusing on at training that day. And I don't mean topic like, um, you know, finding the nine and, and, and supporting him with the center midfielder. That's not what I'm talking about. I, what we do is we are we're attacking in the final third and we want to clean that piece up. We want to clean up our striker with pressure on his back. We want to clean that little piece up. So we'll start a battle rondo, 1v1, receiving with pressure on your back, and we'll teach those little um, details in that 15 minutes. Okay? So in that first part, the battle rondo, each player is probably going to go 1v1 with pressure on their back like 30 to 50 times in 15 minutes because there's only like 5 to 6 to a group. So a a group of 7v7, we'll split them in two. Two groups of 6, boom, there's your 12. And then they get high frequency of that action and we'll work on the defenders sometimes and then let the forwards just go and be intuitive. Um, if we want to work on the defenders that day, or maybe on Thursday, we'll work on the defenders on Tuesday. We'll work on the, on the forwards. Right. So we're talking about the nine, right? So we'll have the nine shoulder checking, uh, learning how to take a negative touch to create space and then rotating his body to face the defender face to face and go at him, you know, going forwards. So you kind of get to the space to turn and then go out to defender one V one conventionally shielding. And then like a drop off pass. Well, I like incorporate a two V one. So I have pressure on my back. I can't turn, drop it off, open up and create a two V one. So we completely dissect that moment. in the first 15 minutes of practice over the course of the week. Right. And then we go into a regular Rondo of whatever, you know, four V one, four V two, five V two, um, We'll probably try to bring that topic out as well in that rondo. Unless there's like a macro topic we also want to work on, like, you know, switching the field. And we try to tie those two together also. So if it's like finding the 1v1 on the wing, we'll do a, we'll do a 1v1 forward-facing player 1v1 battle rondo. Then we'll go into a 4v1 battle rondo of drawing the defender in and then switching the ball to the other side. Because that's obviously unbalancing the defense and finding the winger in a 1v1 in a real game then after that we work on some pattern play we'll do some pattern play on rehearsing or finding the nine right with the player on his back doing a drop-off pass or a turn and finding a winger whatever the instance is and then how we want to execute going forward two or three ways two or three variations and then we would do a small sided game or a technical activity uh or both so some our practices aren't always like four parts. Like sometimes I'll do battle rondo, rondo, small-sided game for the rest of the day. And I just want to see, I want to nail that. I want to drive that home. So you do like an hour game. Like sometimes I do that, but that game isn't like let them play and I have my hands, you know, crossed, my arms crossed. Like, no, like I'm looking for that exact moment as, as often as possible. So that's what our methodology looks like. It's it's micro, we zoom in really, really closely to an instance that we want to see then we zoom out a little and we work on some technical details and some concepts in the regular rondo in a traditional rondo rather then we do a pattern play or a technical activity and then we tie everything in with the small sided game we always get them playing at some point so that's what our practices look like so it's big and small and we do a lot of reverse engineering and what i mean by that is before practice starts i see what i want the picture to look like at the end and then I work my way backwards to the smallest building block, and then those building blocks are the bread and butter of what we do.
0: Got it. I know you mentioned that formations and systems aren't really that big a deal four, three, three, four, two, three, one, three, five, two, whatever the case may be. But I think you still start with some sort of positional structure, right? Some sort of formation. Obviously, it melds and morphs throughout the course of a game but what is that I, I think you have two center backs right in the seven v seven, which are six field players right so you have two center backs and then maybe what two guys that are on the outside kind of acting like wingers who can also come back on defense and kind of form a line of four and then you have what two guys up top that are kind of like the nines How, uh, maybe you can describe that a bit
1: yeah so we have a YouTube video that explains how we progress from 77 to 99 and then 11 v 11. So we definitely keep a shape. So we go two center backs. We do a, a player in the middle like an eight, and then we have two wingers that are fullbacks where we lose the ball, and they're wingers when we have the ball. And then we have a nine in front alone. So it's a two-three-one. That's where we have the the center mid is an eight. When we go to 99, we put two more center mids. We leave everything else alone. So we have our triangle shape. In the middle, we have our U for the back line of four when we are building out. But then when we're attacking, those wingers go high and they act like the front three. And then we have our midfield three. So really, the only thing that's missing from 11 v 11 at that point is that our wingers, they're doing two jobs. They're fullbacks and wings. So really, our 9 v 9 is actually our 11 v 11, if that makes sense. There's nothing missing. It's just players are doing double duty. So it's a seamless transition, actually, from 7 v 7 all the way to 11 v 11. Our structure is very important. Our our team shape is very important. But what I meant by formations don't mean anything is that whether we do 3-2-1 or 2-3-1, at the end of the day, you defend your goal, you attack the other person's goal. And you need to know the quality of your players and how to get the most out of them. That's what I mean by it. The formation doesn't mean anything if you don't know how to teach what you want to teach. If you want us to play 3-2-1, we certainly can. But For our system, we think the optimal way of getting control of the game is the formations that we just went over right there.
0: Perfect. No, got it, man. And yeah, and speaking a little bit more on formations, it also depends on... I'm thinking far ahead. I'm not thinking 7v7. I'm thinking of the pro game. I'm thinking of the highly competitive 11v11 circuit, 15, 17, whatever the case may be. Depends on your player personnel as well because defenders have a certain skill set, midfielders have a certain skill set, and then... People up front have a certain skill set and they need to be placed in appropriate locations on the field, so to speak, right? If you have somebody who has the capabilities of a center back, you don't place them as the creative central midfielder. You, you, get, you get my gist. Anyways, um, good, man. Any last little remarks here before we sign off? Uh, obviously, we're going to continue this conversation. There's still plenty to capture. By the way, the program's fantastic, man. It's fantastic. I know you asked me about the game moments or the match moment stuff that you have. It's a brilliant compliment to the activities and the exercises. You clearly see it. You clearly see, oh, if we're looking for the center mid to do a combo, you know, with the winger or, or vice versa, hey, here's the match moment. It really ties everything together. And I think for the audience that is hungry for knowledge and wants to learn how to coach better. It's going to it's going to be remarkable, man. You did re, you did really well, really really well.
1: Thank you. I mean, your standard put a lot of pressure on me, but I thought that you know when we reached on the being, I thought that it's a good partnership. I think it's a good marriage. The one thing I would like to say is that I worked at this one club for one year. It had good players. They were in Division Five, that's for sure. It was a nice sized club um, from scratch. U nine. Talk about margins of improvement. I worked on structure of the team a lot, and and how we built out. Just getting to the midfield. That's it. I just building out of the back, getting to the midfield, and then the front. Identifying one v ones and two v ones, and understanding how to combine with each other. And what I'm going what I'm going to add on the course is five videos. The first ever game, ever game I had them. The first ever game, three throughout or four throughout the season as temperature checks. Probably two fall games, two spring games, and then I'm gonna the final game that I was with them was a state championship uh, and they ended up winning the state championship. so the u nine team they started from scratch, or I started with them from scratch, the progression through the whole season there's no bullshit, right? I'm gonna put the games in there, and then you're gonna see how the team looked over that nine, ten months. And ended up winning the biggest prize, uh, you nine, right? Sure, you sure. I'm not getting carried away here, but they won the state championship, which is cool. So, and you could see even at the state championship, we were the dominant team. The kids played like little men, and they were, you know, and they were playing like kids at the same time. You know, it was awesome. So, you, I think that that's cool to share. And then, if you see on the structure right below that guy, I said show your work. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I, I, I was wondering if you would like that to be an open tab and then it's like almost like a testimonial where you can have people show us videos of what using the seven seven curriculum and yeah. then we post it on there and be like this was sent from sure. California working with U10 and you know bronze division and they could post their own work there so people could, you know, I don't know what you think about that or
0: no I think it's great man I think yeah. it's absolutely great yeah I'm trying to figure out a way I've been trying for years I haven't come up to with a solution necessarily because I'm too busy with other stuff of how I can elevate coaches who are doing go to work around the country. They, they need to be elevated. They need to be platformed. And I, I want them to have recognition. One of the issues that I have with how things are in American soccer and soccer in general, but in American soccer, and I want change is why do the clubs only get recognition? You know, everybody is involved in the development of the player the federation, the club, the league, the parents. The player themselves, the coach, like all of these are inputs to the players to have them succeed. But it seems like the club is the only one who gets elevated or platformed. Oh, product of New York City FC, product of this, product of that. Well, how about giving some love to the other people, right? The fucking people slaving away uh, every day. Anyways, it's, it's a thought that I had in mind, which was sparked when you said, hey, what if you know, coaches can share their work sort of thing? And, and that's where my mind went. Yes, I want to make sure that coaches get the credit that they're due. Well, that's it for today, guys. Thank you for listening. A reminder for coaches, you can get both the free and premium coaching programs at 343coaching.com. Don't let anyone tell you your teams can't win by playing dominant possession-based football while also developing individual players to the highest levels, nonsense. We've proved it at every single level and so have hundreds of serious member coaches across the country. Now that we've moved on to the pro level, we're delivering everything we've learned in the program. Don't wait and continue delaying getting on a proven path. And parents, 343masterclass.com is where you want to go to get a working compass for navigating the American soccer landscape with your player. It's pretty bad out there, but let our experience guide you. And if you're interested in a solution that blends both academics and soccer, there's even the opportunity to do this in Europe as well. To learn more, visit acceleratorschool.com. Until next time, cheers, everyone, and keep building.